There's a call comes ringing o'er the restless waves. Send the light. Send the light. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Send the Light podcast. I'm your host, Matt Tyson, here with my co host, Brother Michael Bolton. We're so glad you've tuned in today. Our hope and our prayers that we're able to help bring relevant, important Bible topics to your attention and explore what the Bible has to say regarding those topics. If you're here with us in the Cedar Falls, Waterloo area, uh, or the surrounding areas, we'd love to have you visit with us. We meet at 2543 Cedar Terrace Drive in Waterloo. You'll find us there Sundays at 1030 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have a bunch of free resources we can send to you. We have free uh, Bible courses by mail, uh, tracts, articles, and we also love uh, just meeting over a cup of coffee and studying the Bible with folks in person. So feel free to reach out to us on our website at www.cedarterracecoc.com. You can find us with our Facebook or YouTube handles at Cedar Terrace COC or the email address and phone numbers listed on the screen or in the podcast notes. So today is actually a a Lord's Day. We usually record on Thursdays, but today is Sunday. And uh, this morning um, we talked a little bit about the day of Pentecost and some of the implications and kind of how it ties into to the church and the significance right. of it and the fulfillment of prophecies. And so we kind of want to talk about that today as well, maybe go into a few other areas um, along those lines. So before we get started, why don't we go ahead and open up with a word of prayer? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the day that you've given to us, for the opportunity we have, the privilege that we have uh, to serve you and to work in your kingdom. Father, we pray for uh, this podcast, for this uh, opportunity, this type of outreach. We pray, Lord, that we'll find true and honest hearts to hear your word, and uh, they'll respond with questions, honest questions, that we can study the scriptures about together. We pray, Lord, that you'll be with those who are suffering in illness of some sort, and for those who are traveling, that your hand of mercy would be upon them. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think the the day of Pentecost is something that I remember hearing when I was younger. Um, it was something that, obviously, as you grow older and the the more you study the, the, the beginning of the church and kind of the events surrounding that, you know, Pentecost is significant. Um, Brother Mike, if you had to give somebody a pretty high level overview of what the day of Pentecost is, what would, like, if somebody asked you what the day of Pentecost is, what would you tell them? The first thing I would say is it's the birthday of the church. Amen. That's when the church was established. That is the church that Jesus established that we read about in Matthew 16, verse 18, that we read about as we'll study throughout this podcast in many of the prophecies. Even even as far back as Daniel and Isaiah, mm-hmm. um, God's plan has always been to establish the church. The church is not a a second best or a stopgap solution to man's rebellion. That's God's plan from the very beginning. Yeah, there's so many Old Testament prophecies that bring out that significance of of the day of Pentecost and that being the the birthday of the church. I think it's important for in this kind of one thing I hope that our listeners um, who are, who are joining us will remember and really, really chew on 
but a church not founded at the scriptural place is not the scriptural church. We talked about that a couple episodes um, ago with the idea of the name of the church right. and, and the significance, but really there's more than just the name that is significant. So much went into planning for the church. God's plan is so detailed and so purposeful. Another word, maybe intentional, that these things make an eternal difference in our lives. The name, the right congregation or our assembly that we meet with, uh, the doctrines, the practices, these are all very important things because they're biblical practices and what God has planned from the beginning of time. And it's just not worth messing around no, with. No. And that's not. we we have to remember the the re, we have to have the realization that this is not a fairy tale. This is not something we do because we were raised doing it or to ease a conscience. Like eternity is real. Yes it is. And de- dependent on our our obedience and our practice of these things determine where we will spend eternity. And so I think it's absolutely important that these things are studied and and understood and and that we take it serious. Church as the world considers it many times is not scriptural. And it's all focused on the the member, the attendee, you know, it's right. Entertain me, please me, make me feel good. The purpose of the church is to bring glory to God. Amen. It is to be a place where Jesus is lifted up, where people choose to do his will. And his will is important to us who want to follow him wholeheartedly. Um, I like the way you brought it out in your lesson this morning uh, during the assembly that the church, as many people in the world think about it, is not recognized in the scripture. It's completely unfounded. And we're not saying these things to be mean or to be ugly or to be controversial. These things come from us out of a heart of love. First of all, love for God and love for his word, but a love for people because we want to raise the warning. This is serious business. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The man, you know, when you think of that word church, there's so much emphasis placed on the building or, or the, the, the business, really. And, you know, church is defined by scripture was a group of called out people to bring glory to God, like you said. And, and so that's, you know, that just, we have to use correct scriptural verbiage. Yeah. When, when using these words. In my lesson this morning, I had made, made the comment that society has changed the meaning of the word church and that, that definition that was given in Scripture. And they've done the same, society's done the same thing with other terms as well. And one of the first ones that came to my mind was just the term marriage and how that, mm-hmm. that word has just, that has just changed in in the eyes of uh, most people based on society right we have to use the verbiage the definitions that are given to us by scripture and it's okay for words to change in their meaning we correct yeah we see that 
if you study just the English language over its development over years, many, many, many words have changed, and some are completely opposite of what they once meant, and that's okay. But when we're talking about pleasing God, even if we use different words, we have to be sure that we're doing the same thing that God has instructed mm -hmm. us to do. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means, that's what we need to do in order to please him so that our assemblies are not vain worship. Correct. And it can become that easily, very easily if yes, we're sir. not intentional and um, thoughtful, studious. So, absolutely. When we think about the day of Pentecost and the significance of the birthplace of the church, it was foretold. We see Old Testament prophecies yes. foretelling of when and where that event was to take place. One of the first ones that we see is in Isaiah. I'd just like to read it in chapter 2. The Bible says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. What do we see there, brother? The church is established in Jerusalem. We also see that the church is the house of God, mm -hmm. the place where God dwells. Some people have gone so far as to say, and I, I don't really struggle with this, I think it's a fair statement, that the church has replaced the temple. There was a time in the Old Testament dispensation that God dwelt in the temple, and that's where the high priest would go once a year into the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice. Well, now God dwells in the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned, you reiterated what that passage said about the the Lord's house being the church. And that's not just an opinion. That's, that's right. the way the Bible defines it. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 15 the Bible says, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The Lord's house is, is the church. Absolutely. Um, there's more than just that prophecy. We also read in Daniel 2, verses 44 and 45, and in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone that was cut off out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and it's an interpretation is sure. And then we also read another prophecy in Zechariah 8, verse 3. The Bible says, This says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. There's just three quick, you know, illustrations or, or prophecies that this would take place in Jerusalem. You know, I'm currently reading a book. Um, 
I have several books going. That's just the way I read. Um, and it's called Exploring Mount Zion. Oh, yeah. It's by uh, one of my favorite authors, James E. Smith. And its purpose, it's full of his examination of Old Testament prophecies that he understands point to the church. This book is about 200 pages long. So the Old Testament was focused on the church in, the, in its prophetical mm-hmm. uh, work in a very large do, uh, way. If you think about that in the context of the scriptures and people, you, you've heard it said, and, and I mean, maybe you've even thought it. I've had times, in, you know, whenever I was a, a younger guy where you questioned the significance of the Old Testament. And it's like, oh, you know, it's not really that important. But even from the first chapters of Genesis, you know, you read the proto, what scholars call the proto-evangelium. Right. The, the, um, the first, like really the first gospel message and the significance that lays the groundwork for the rest of, of, of the Bible. Yes, sir. You know, everything, it, it started there. And ultimately, he's saying, this is where it's going to end up. And the, everything is just about what it took to get to that point. Um, in Zechariah 1, verse 16, keeping with the idea of the significance of the church in Jerusalem, the Bible says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and the surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Once more. If my understanding is correct, when Zechariah wrote this prophecy, or gave this prophecy, there was an actual temple in Jerusalem. Uh, now, I admit I'm fallible and my timeline could be off. It could have been in the brief period of time in which there was not an existing temple in Jerusalem. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm straight on on this, though. So God was not talking about his temple. I could see, At this I time. see what you're saying. He was talking about the church. Mm-hmm. The church provides protection to its members, you know, within the church, we find safety, salvation, forgiveness, and all these things. It's significant. God, God desires that all become members of that church. And Satan's going to throw everything he can to get us to not do that because ultimately Satan knows what's coming for him. You know, the Bible illustrates that that hell was not a place prepared for me and you. That's right. We were never intended to go there. The devil and his angels. Exactly. And and knowing that we, that you and I, that human beings were made in the image of God, like it illustrates in, in Genesis. The first chapters of the book of Genesis talk about not only were we made in the image of God, but we had that perfect fellowship with God that we one day can have restored. We can have that again. Satan wants wants to take that away as as really to, to slap God in the face because he knows what's coming. And you know, so so God God blessed us with the church. God blessed us with a way to avoid that, to avoid the the consequence of you know giving giving in to those temptations. And were you gonna say something? I didn't want to cut you off. No, go ahead. Oh, okay. In Luke twenty four 
verses 46 through 49, the Bible says, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. What can you tell us about that? What's going on here? Jesus has resurrected from the grave. He is preparing to uh, ascend, to go back to the Father. And uh, Luke records this. Jesus tells the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power. The power hasn't come yet. The church has not been established yet. The day of Pentecost has not taken place yet. Jesus tells them to stay there and wait. Mm -hmm. In Acts 1, verse 8, uh, Jesus also says there, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then the next chapter, we see that take place in chapter 2, verse 4, uh, starting in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon them, each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what's going on here? Oh, I, I love to talk about these verses. Um, I, as you know, Matt, uh, I am involved in Zoom studies with brethren in different parts of the world, and we're currently studying through Acts chapter 2. And I was, I was excited when we began this part of the study because it's like we've been waiting in anticipation, almost as if what the apostles experienced in, you know, the 10 days between the time that Jesus ascended back to the Father and the mm -hmm. day that Pentecost actually came. So the day of Pentecost is a, a celebration of ancient Judaism, and it occurred 50 days after the Passover. Now, this Pentecost was especially important, just as the Passover 50 days before was especially important, because at that Passover... The lamb that was slain was the last lamb to be slain for sin. That was Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. At that point, the law was coming to an end. At that point, the Old Testament dispensation began to close, and the New Testament dispensation, the, the era of Christ, has begun. Yeah. And so, 10 days later, the day, or 50 days later, rather, the day of Pentecost has fully come. So this happens to be the first day of the week. Mm -hmm. Passover was always on a Saturday. So the day of Pentecost occurred on what we would call a Sunday here. And we find the brethren in one accord. We could spend weeks talking about what that means. It wasn't a Honda. <laughs> no, it certainly was not. And there came a sound from heaven. And, and I want to, to pause here and, and stress this. It's a sound. 
a lot of people read this and they, and, and, and they read it and they and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and they think that there was this gust of wind that filled the upper room where the apostles were it's the sound of a, of a mighty wind mm -hmm. i don't I don't see that there was any wind there. I don't know if there was a breeze blowing through the open window that day or what. There's a mighty breeze. There may have been, but that's not what yeah. is recorded for us. This is the sound. Just like in a, in a few more words, we find uh, there was divided tongues as a fire. A lot of people read that and think that they were that they had actual fire sitting on top of their heads I'd or something like, like that. Picture, yeah, and, you know, illustrations where that was the case. But it says not, as a fire, yeah. and, and these are the same kinds of things. You know, the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil never says it was an apple. That's right. Uh, Jonah did not spend necessarily spend three days in the body of a whale. You know, a great fish, and these are the kind of the little things that you you read over it, or you hear one thing, and it puts this <laughs> image in your mind, and then you go back. I mean, did three wise men visit Jesus in the manger? We have a good friend who calls these flyover verses. Yeah, yeah. We miss a lot of things there, and because we miss them, a lot of false doctrine yeah. is sometimes built. I have friends, I have family, who pray for. Uh, a baptism of the Holy Spirit like mm -hmm. that on Pentecost. Well, as Matt has read to us from Luke and from Acts chapter 1, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is promised. It is never commanded. You will find no command to seek for the baptism of the Holy Spirit anywhere in Scripture. What you do find is the Lord commanding the disciples to wait until that day comes. He promises that this day is coming and that it's coming very soon. That's why he tells them to stay in yep. Jerusalem. So they know it's it's about to happen. Mm -hmm. Whatever that was going to be, they didn't, I don't think they fully understood, like, yeah. but they knew it was about to happen. It's a promise. It is not a command. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's, I like that, the flyover verses. <laughs> It starts to when you when you come to passages like that and examples like that, it starts to formulate in your head these ideas of what things were, what things looked like, what you know, yeah. but but there's no scriptural basis for it. So you're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we're reading in this in this passage here in Acts chapter two, verses one through four, that that is taking place, you know, like the, the what Jesus promised and going, you know, he says that he had to go before he could send down that's the right. helper is what the Bible he couldn't send him until he was ascended. And that's what we're reading now. That's exactly what happened. So tell us a little bit about who's here at this time and what one thing that I like to think about is just kind of the, uh, the, the emotional dynamic of what's taking place right now. So, if I were to put my try to put my place in the in the apostles disciples' shoes, well, first of all, to have walked with Christ for three and a half years is an unimaginable. It's you know I can I can play with it, but I can't. I don't think I can fully really understand it. But then to watch him ascend to the Father and have him command me to stay and wait till this promised yeah. Spirit comes. I can only imagine the anticipation. Mm -hmm. and, they, they, and we read in Acts 1 where they took care of some business, but 
they were still anticipating. I almost feel like they were on pins and needles, maybe looking forward to this time. I imagine there was some like some happy anticipation, but I also have to think too that there were, there's just so many things going on right now. You know, years these men spent with Jesus talking about what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's coming, what's coming, what's coming, and now all these things are taking place and. Like you said, I don't necessarily think that they had it all just, you know, down pat and knew every little bit of what to expect. And so I think there was also some, uh, I wouldn't say fear necessarily, right? but just some, uh, you know, unsurety, anxiety Maybe surrounding anxiety. what's, what's taking place. And then whenever you get to the later part of Acts chapter 2, and well, I guess most of the chapters starting... Uh, when when Peter starts preaching to these people, first of all, I think that's such a powerful illustration of the aspect of preaching, and mm-hmm. and pre- my wife has talked about before. You know, she she's there's been times that she's thought like, let's just go to a park, like let's just take a group <laughs> of us and go to to uh, I forget what it is in Waterloo Spring Park or whatever, and just preach, preach and <laughs> sing and. You know, what happens, happens, and we get so afraid of what people think about us, and we're so uncomfortable with that, and so we don't, and yet that's what we see these people doing in the scriptures. Peter just starts preaching to these people, and he wasn't concerned about being popular, or else he wouldn't have been preaching what he was preaching. He kind of, um, if you'll pardon the old old expression, he laid it he laid the line he laid the law down i mean he he you know i've been told in my life in my career as a preacher if if that's what you want to call it i I don't really like that phrase but it is what it is um you preach at people rather than to or to them or or i don't i'm not sure that i fully understand it i believe i can see in my mind peter standing there and pointing his fingers at this crowd of 3,000 Jews who gathered with the phenomenon that happened because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment that came. Well, you think about, you're talking about having Peter point the finger. Let's just read a little bit here <laughs> in Acts chapter 2. He, he He's talking to this Jewish audience, and these are the same Jews. Like, these, some of these same Jews stood at the foot of the cross. Yes. Like, they were... Um, these people were the ones telling, yelling to crucify him. If I understand the time right, timeline right, it may be that some of them threw their coats and, and, and limbs from palm trees oh, yeah. on the road as Jesus was marching in. Maybe some of them watched him or participated in the other side, in the receiving end of him cleansing the temple. Mm-hmm. So they knew who he was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Peter starts preaching to him and obviously the the name david is significant to the jews a very special name to them jesus i'm sorry peter says men and brethren in verse 29 men and brethren let me speak freely to you of the patriarch david that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day therefore being a prophet and knowing that god had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body according to the flesh he would raise up the christ to sit on his throne he, perceiving this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we were all we are all witnesses. 
Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where we're talking about like what you were just saying. Peter, Peter flat out said it. You crucified, you crucified him. him. Yeah. You were the ones saying to, to have him murdered. So, there's so much here um, that's going on. First of all, when Peter took it on himself, and, and I don't know exactly how that came to be, but when Peter stood up, um, the apostles had just been accused of being drunk. And he stood up. First of all, he gave a simple defense, but he didn't spend a whole lot of time doing that. He jumped right into his message. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he'd been thinking about this. I don't know if, you know, if it was all ad lib and, and flowing off the cuff, oh, as man. we like to say. Um, but if you look closely, he used three Old Testament texts from Joel 2, from Psalm 16, and from Psalms 110. He used these texts to prove the deity of Christ, mm-hmm. whom they had just killed. He used these texts to prove to show them what was going on right here, right now, was a promise from the Old Testament that they claimed to love. Mm-hmm. And then he preached the resurrection, and then he pointed out to them that you are the ones that killed him. Yeah. He, he was not backwards at all. And I think these are earmarks of gospel preaching. Take a text from the scripture. Texts will preach the word of God, not our opinions, not politics, not, you know, whatever we might be thinking or feeling. We preach the word of God. Yeah. And we preach it boldly. And he certainly did. Yes, sir. You were talking about in in the earlier part of of Acts chapter 2, the people did, they thought that they were drunk. And Peter says in verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says the Lord, that I will pour out uh, of my spirit on all flesh. And he goes and continues the prophecy. So he he's saying... This is not what you think it is. You need to listen up because this is what God says this is. Right. And obviously many of these Jews, I mean all of these Jews thought that they were something special because of their lineage, because of their uh you know their Hebrew forefathers and and the close relationship they I mean they were God's people. They were God's chosen people. And ultimately it was that mentality that led to Jesus's death. Uh, it was that mentality right. that caused these people to be angry, especially the Pharisees. You know, they were they were angry with Jesus because jealous, they, jealous. Yeah, they 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 were the special ones, and so now Peter's telling these people, "You're not, you know, you are not who you think you are." <laughs> I have to wonder. I think there's a powerful lesson that can be taken. Uh, from this passage in regard to humbleness and 
because Good. people, you know, Peter, Peter's preaching to them, and he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's quite the change of dynamic here. Yes. How do you go from, in just a short period, from standing at the foot of the cross, cheering and, and happy to see Jesus suffering and dying, to, oh no, what did I just do? Extreme guilt. The guilt. Man, I can't imagine the right. guilt. Like, So... I mean, I, f- I feel guilty if I hit a cat that runs out in front of me on the side of the road, let alone the Messiah. I Yeah, the guilt that overwhelms me sometimes because of things that I've done, you know, in the past, and that's maybe years ago, that's under the blood. It's still just, wow, mm-hmm. I was involved in that. I did that. Yeah. How good God is. Peter, let, first of all, let me say this. Peter was not anybody special. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe that any one of the 12 apostles that were there could have preached this message. Yes. It was Peter's personality, his character as a leader, as being outspoken, which we see over and over throughout the Gospels, that led him to do that. I, I don't believe that he was appointed to this, except that Jesus promised to give him the keys to the kingdom mm-hmm. in Matthew 2. 16 verse 19 um, when he preached the word coming from the Old Testament and made correct application to the situation you were going there you said Acts 2 verse 37 they were cut to the heart that's what biblical preaching does mm-hmm. it convicts you of sin can give encouragement, too. And I want to say, friend, if you are feeling angry because you're hearing the Word of God preached, because something is being uh, poked at in Mm -hmm. your life that is contrary to what the Word of God says, not to what Michael says or Matt says, but to what the Word of God says, that's conviction. Mm -hmm. That means you need to do like what these people did. Yeah, not necessarily interrupt the preacher and ask, <laughs> "What do we do now?" Maybe pull him off to the side afterwards. Uh, well, yeah, call us up. <laughs> <laughs> but recognize that there's something to do. I think in the this society and political climate that we live in right now, nobody's wrong. And when you feel that conviction, like what you were just talking about, well, it that has to be the other person, right? Because I'm not wrong, right? And and so that, like you were talking about, like when you feel that 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 uh, conviction, that anger, or whatever, take that anger and apply it, or you know, turn that anger to Satan, who's the deceiver, yes. who is the one that deceived you into believing whatever that doctrine is Amen. that you're now feeling conviction from. Their actions indicated a repentance. In, in their life, they powerful. Display. They were, they were the murderers of Christ. Like you said, they were shouting with joy at his crucifixion, and now they're full of sorrow, Man. and they they're cut to the heart and shock, realizing what they've done, and that happens in sin. Uh, James chapter one tells us that 
uh, when we are deceived and, and caught up in temptation and give in to temptation, that that leads to sin and sin leads to death. These people had died spiritually. Mm-hmm. And the Word of God does what it does. It convicts sinners. It brings life. And so they were being revived. They were pursuing an attitude of repentance. Yeah. You were talking about the these people in Luke chapter 23. The Bible says, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, and even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. These people, that that was not just the rulers that said that. It says, and the rulers with them, with the people who were gathered there, said, He saved others, let him, sa- let him save himself, if he is the Christ. And that leads me to think that even when Christ died, that there were still people that walked away thinking, hmm, proves my point. He didn't save himself, so he must not have been the Christ. So this goes to show that we're completely off of what few notes we're praying <laughs> here. Um, with your what you just read, I was thinking, didn't they have the Old Testament scriptures? Shouldn't they have understood that someone was to die, yeah. not to save himself? Correct. Someone was to be a sacrifice? And to make application from that, we have the scriptures. The scriptures for them had been twisted, mm. had been taken out of context, had been misapplied. And so often in our society today, so often in our churches, in our homes, in our own Bible study, the scriptures are twisted. Very much so. To our danger to our harm. And so we need to search the scriptures daily. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Amen. So these Jews recognized that they killed the Savior, and they were cut to the heart, and they did. They interrupted Peter. <laughs> and and that, that's also the way that their conversion took place if you you know if you're listening and you attend a church that has baptism days or salvation days or church camps and things like that where you go there and during that time you know you're saved you're not saved not not like we read about in scripture because right. these men recognized and it hit them like that they were a guilty distance from God and we need to fix that right now right now it's that important and it is right that now. important I had told somebody, there was somebody that converted a few years ago, and he called me up one morning and said, you know, he realized he needed to be baptized. And so we did, went down to the church house and, and uh, the building and filled the baptistry, and, and he was baptized. And we were talking afterwards about kind of some of his thoughts that led him to that realization, and he realized it last night. And I was like, Dude, you should have called me. Amen. Like, and he's like, oh, it's like midnight. I was like, you should have called me. It's <laughs> I don't that care, important. dude. Yes. So I had a friend um, who I baptized, and he showed. I had already got. I, I guess Matt makes fun of me all the time because I'm old man and go to bed early. <laughs> but I go to bed early. So it was like what five thirty? That might be a six o'clock. <laughs> anyway, I had gone to bed at a decent time. 
and um, my wife was up. I think she was studying or doing some some housework or something. I don't remember exactly, but she was up and um, somebody rang the doorbell, and she came to get me. She said, "Michael, so and so is here, and he wants to talk to you about being baptized." Well, I had studied with this young man for several weeks, and and he laughed at me. He completely rejected what I had taught him or tried to teach him, but he said he went home and kept studying it. That's the key. He kept studying the Word, right? He didn't just take my word for it. He studied the Word of God. And so he comes to my house at nearly 11 o'clock at night. Now, mind you, this was middle of December in Washington State. Our church doesn't ha- didn't have a, a baptistry that we could use. It, it has a, a hole, but it's not... Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. fit to use. I said, well, our best choice is to go down to the river. He said, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready right now. I said, it's going to be cold. It's going to be really cold. He said, I'm ready. He said, I could die before we get there. Yeah. He was, he he was that serious. Yeah. And I told him, I said, I'm ready too. Let's go. Yeah. So I went and got some clothes to change into, and we got some towels and couple of blankets and loaded up in the truck and went and immersed him in the Columbia River at that time. <laughs> oh, man. I, well, I thought mine was bad. We just didn't have a water heater in Florida. <laughs> Same here with me in Texas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I when my my good friend Dom had converted, uh, he was converted, oh, man, I, get, I can't even remember how long, 12, 13 years ago. Um, we were talking. We had studied several days, and, and he had just said... Uh, I was on the oh I was on the phone with my dad. He my dad had called me, and so I was on the phone, and and Dom like interrupted me almost, and he's like, man, he's like I need to be baptized, and I was like, cool, like I was really excited. He's like, no, like right now, let's go, (laughs) Dad. I'll see you later. (laughs) Yep. And uh, so we did, and all we had was our swimming pool, which had been neglected for quite a while, and it was Uh I mean it was green and nasty algae and so my dad had poured uh a bunch of bleach and shock and everything i I wish i had taken a picture because there was a small area that was crystal clear blue and the rest of the water was just green (laughs) filth and yeah anyway but yeah so these men recognized it needed to be done right now they interrupted them and and what happens? What happens after that? Men and brethren, what shall we do? How do we fix this mistake? Right. How do we fix this? What do we do about that? We recognize that we've killed the Christ. We recognize that we're a guilty distance from God. We want to make this right. What can we do? We can't bring him back. Mm-hmm. You know, he's already resurrected and ascended to the Father. We can't do anything about that now. What do we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Do you think that these people believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God when they asked the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? I think they believed it at that time, yes. Were they Christians at that time? They were not. Hmm. How do we know that? Because Peter said there was still something. He answered positively yeah. that there's still something you need to do. And the Bible says uh, in verse 41 that those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added unto them. The Lord, uh, in verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. 
And so when does that take place? When do we become a Christian? It's not, these men were not Christians when they believed. So when is it, when, when does that take place? Let's look at 1 Peter 3, verse 21. All right. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Mm. Baptism now saves us. You can't be any plainer than that. Yeah. If you think about the antitype that he's you know, referring to here is uh, there's some significance in that. Let me pull it back up here. Yeah, he was talking about Noah at the right. time. The flood cleansed the world of sin, right? That's right. What cleanses us from sin? The water. The, yeah. The blood of the Christ. The blood of Christ that is applied when we obey Christ in baptism. And, and, if, if you're listening, you're more interested to, to learn more about this. We talked uh, several weeks ago about the sinner's prayer. Right. And that kind of goes into it as well. It, once again, it's important that we use the correct scriptural verbiage and that we're recognizing, friends, we've been deceived. Yeah. Satan has deceived us using religion. And if you're not baptized for the remission of sins, you're not a Christian. That's right. And it's so important to do what the Word of God says. Mm -hmm. And that's what these people did. They simply obeyed the command. They showed repentance, and they were baptized for the remission of their sins, for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, I want to move on uh, just before we close. I know we're close to our time. Um, I know there's a big movement across the land today about revival and some many people look at the day of pentecost and and say that this is the kind of revival mm. that we need brother kevin presley who's coming for a meeting here in waterloo in about a month brought a wonderful sermon on his uh tv program a few weeks ago about what revival is and i want to point out what the scripture says the result of revival was these things, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, these people obeying the gospel and being added to the church, there were specific results that I believe are tangible and easily seen from the scriptures. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Mm. That's the first thing, and that, that takes importance over everything else. Talk about the importance of preaching. There you go. Yep. That's how they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They were consistent in their approach to worship. It wasn't seeking for an emotional high or make me feel good or something like that. But it was a steady, simple approach to worship and to listening to and understanding the Word of God. Mm -hmm. I think when we look for signs yeah. of conversion in our life, 
or in the life of others, that that is one of the positive things that we should look for. Do we hunger and thirst after righteousness? Are we continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine? Yeah. Amen. So these people, these Jews, they crucified Jesus. They were gathered on the day of Pentecost. Peter preached to them. They were convicted by the sermon, and they recognized that it was their own doings. It wasn't the apostles. That's right. They didn't point fingers and focus that anger at them. They believed. They Obviously, they repented from their sins. They, they, they turned away because they did continue steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. They were baptized. They had their sins washed away. By doing that, what did they become? They became Christians. Christians. They were added. Oh, this is so beautiful. They were added to the church. Mm -hmm. Not by a board of elders or deacons Amen. in the denomination. They were added to the church by the Lord by Jesus the, Christ. Yeah. I start out one of my Zoom studies. Uh, Jesus said that he will build his church. And we look around the religious landscape today. There's lots of churches built by different people. But I want to be a part yeah. of the church that Jesus built. Yeah. I don't want this other man's doctrine or man's way. But it's just I not want Jesus' way. It's not worth it. If I was looking for somewhere to attend church just to make myself feel good, there's other ways I could do that. That's right. <laughs> I want to go to church to worship a mighty God. He is a mighty God. And I say go to church. That's a you know, I know we've talked yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> we are the church. We're assembling with our brothers and sisters to worship a mighty that's right. God. That's that's the the church that I want to be a part of. And I believe I am a part of it. I've, I've followed those steps. If anything in this episode has sparked questions regarding these events on the day of Pentecost leading to salvation, uh, if you have questions about worship, Christian living, or any other topic, please reach out to us and we'll be happy to try to answer those questions using the Bible as our authority. Tune in next week for another episode of the Send the Light podcast where we discuss relevant, important Bible topics and explore what the Bible has to say regarding these topics. Once again, if you're here with us in the Cedar Valley, in the Waterloo, Cedar Falls, or any of those surrounding areas, we'd love to have you visit with us. We meet at 2543 Cedar Terrace Drive in Waterloo. You'll find us there Sundays at 1030 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Once again, feel free to reach out to us to take advantage of a bunch of free resources we can send to you. We've got Bible studies by mail, no no commitment, nothing. You know, we send you uh, this Bible course. It's you know pre-stamped. Uh, every, everything's just ready to go, and just in, in in hopes of helping one another grow closer to the Lord. So, and don't forget, we love to study the Bible with folks in person. Uh, we have a number of different resources that we can use to to study the Bible together, mm -hmm. and uh, we would just love to do that. Uh, so feel free to reach out to us on our website at cedarterracecoc.com. You can find our Facebook page at Cedar Terrace COC, YouTube handle at Cedar Terrace COC as well, or the email address and phone numbers listed on the screen or in the podcast notes. I'm your host, Matt Tyson, here with our co-host, Brother Michael Bolton. Thanks for spending your time with us today, and if the Lord wills, we'll see you next time.
Amen. God bless you.